Good morning. It is 9.02. You're listening to Public Radio KBBI AM 890. Homer. I'm Jay Barrett, and this is the regular Thursday COVID brief. And uh, with me on the show today, as usual, Lauren Carroll, who is a public health nurse with the Alaska Division of Public Health Nursing, and Dorotha Ferraro, the spokesperson for South Peninsula Hospital. How are you both today? D- Lauren? Hey, good morning, Jay. You're loud and clear. I'm good. All right. Excellent. Dorotha, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good morning. And I apologize for the jingling behind me. I might have to remove some of my holiday bling. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Getting into the spirit there. Uh, Well, let's see. Uh, We have uh, Omicron to talk to, uh, talk talk about. Uh, It's... um, being taken very seriously by governments around the uh, world. Uh, there are uh, the National Hockey League has uh, decided not to let its players participate in the Winter Olympics that were coming up. Uh, there have been uh, flight and travel restrictions uh, in place uh, around the world. Uh, Lauren, can you tell us what the very latest you've heard on uh, the Omicron variant of the coronavirus? Oh, yeah, sure thing, Jay. Thanks. You know, uh, Omicron, if you're just now tuning in, that's the most current or the latest variant of concern that that we think has started to emerge in South Africa recently. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, um, assigned the name Omicron to this particular variant. And it's of particular concern because... uh, these variants have several mutations, but Omicron, which sets it apart from any other variant we've had or experienced so far, has over 50 mutations, um, and about 30 of those are with the, the spike protein, or that's the piece of the virus that's mostly responsible for entering a human and then entering a human cell, which allows it to replicate. And so... <clears throat> Um, some of the take-homes there are its transmissibility or its ability to go from one person to the next is thought to be about two to three times that of Delta. So Delta was already highly transmissible, um, but Omicron is probably in in the ballpark of measles, which is highly contagious. Um, so when stepping back and looking at the entire U.S., uh, back around December 11th, which was recent past history, Omicron uh, accounted for about 13% of all of the uh, of viruses that were causing new cases of COVID-19. Now, fast forwarding um, to the 18th of this month, only a week later, it's accounting for about uh, 70 or 75% of all newly reported cases of COVID-19 in the United States. So that's a big jump. Now, uh, is it here in Alaska? Yes. Uh, we've only had two known cases um, reported or known so far, um, and we expect that to rise in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many questions about uh, Omicron. One, one of the uh, unknowns, I think, at this point is uh, how severe it is. There are indications that it is not nearly as severe a disease as uh, the Delta variant, uh, variant uh, and that uh, the, the spikes that started in Africa is already uh, declining. Uh, what do you know about that, Lauren? Its severity. Yeah, that's it. 
That's a good question. It's still early in the game to know how severe Omicron will cause um, disease from person to person or from community to community. A couple things we know is that Omicron will likely impact uh, different communities differently. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But antidotally, what we're um, hearing from other countries is that severity might be less, but we're also seeing an increase in pediatric cases, which is um, also feeding an increase of pediatric hospitalizations. So that's a concern. But, you know, the public health practitioners and other folks, too, what's concerning here for us as well as as we have an increase in cases or what we like to call a denominator or all the total new cases, with more cases means uh, exponentially more chances for another variant of concern to arise. So we're keeping our eye on that pretty closely as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I've read is that uh, though the... Uh, the uh, transmissibility may be uh, greater and the virulence may be um, less than uh, Delta, uh, Omicron may nonetheless uh, drive a spike in hospitalizations, whether they're uh, as serious as Delta or not. Uh, and the hospitals are already, of course, uh, uh, stretch pretty thin in a lot of places. Uh, so I, I, I think I understand that's a concern. Uh, is that correct? Yeah, that's really well said, Jay. You know, with uh, even with lower severity, with increased number of cases, um, like, for example, uh, in the United States, we're seeing an increase in cases, and certainly in the U.K., they've already surpassed where they were uh, with Delta in regards to daily reporting of COVID. With, with that big of a denominator of total cases, um, inherently uh, there are increased number of hospitalizations. So, yep, you got it. That's a concern because our hospitals in Alaska continue to be um, really stressed or unable to meet the need uh, of COVID and non-COVID concerns. Mm -hmm. Is there, uh, when we say that, uh, you know, we see that, Omicron as the dominant strain now being detected uh, in a lot of places, uh, uh, as you said, rapidly uh, growing. Uh, it, is it edging out Delta? Is Delta going to uh, fade away like some of the other? Uh, there are many variants of, uh, of the coronavirus, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, most of them don't uh, affect us at all. Is, is Omicron pushing Delta aside, and is that a good thing? You know, I, I guess I would say epidemiologically, uh, it's more like uh, each of these variants uh, running their course as we work with them and try to mitigate them as a team or as a community and nation. So what, what we've seen is Alpha has come and almost gone, but there's still Alpha out there. Uh, beta has, has come and almost gone. It's still out there to some degree, and the same with uh, Delta. So right now across the U.S., uh, Delta is still there, um, you know, being spread from person to person. Um, but proportionally, Omicron uh, is, is uh, making up a larger proportion of the total cases. Now, here in Alaska, uh, the story may be a little bit different. Uh, and I say maybe because we only know of two cases of Omicron so far. But sequencing or, or the, the laboratory test that tells us which variant can take up to a couple of weeks or even longer. And so that news tends to come a little bit later. Mm -hmm. If 
if a variant of the the coronavirus uh, emerges that is super mild, I mean, like more Omicron than Omicron, it's very, very mild, uh, maybe sniffles for a day or something, I don't know, uh, and it becomes the dominant uh, form, uh, how is that different than uh, a vaccine? Oh, I, I think, uh, you know, what you might be getting at, if I'm hearing you right, is that uh, any time that someone gets the infection, um, and assuming that they make it through that okay, and then they, they heal, they do have some natural immunity or protection um, from the coronavirus. That, that's true, absolutely. And actually, uh, what we're seeing is some new verbiage. It's called uh, super immunity. And superimmunity is the phrase that uh, the scientific community is assigning to folks that have been fully vaccinated but also experience breakthrough uh, disease. And so coming out of that uh, sickness or illness from COVID-19, they've got protection from uh, previous disease and from vaccination as well. Mm-hmm. Gerald, I don't mean to uh, leave you sitting on the sidelines for so long. Uh, there's no uh, Omicron in, uh, detected in Homer yet. We've had two cases in the state of Alaska, as Lauren said. But how are things uh, looking as we go into this holiday weekend as far as uh, local coronavirus um, cases? Well, thank you. Um let me hit my volume. I'm, I have a, an echo. So I just want to speak to the um, comment about no Omicron being in Homer or detected in Homer. So the way it works is that we do the we collect the swab and we run or process the positive or negative. Is there enough? Um, is there a virus um, detected in that swab? And if our testing shows yes then we send it to the state of Alaska for um, verification and they do the sequencing. So we're really not the ones that would identify um, that there is Omicron or Delta or anything. We, we wait on the state to run the, um, the sequencing of that um, positive swab. So as far as testing goes in general, we collected 535 tests um, last week, and we are at a 4.5% positivity rate. And last week, we the, the week prior to that, we were at a 5%. So we're kind of hovering right at that same spot. Although I will say that in the last two days, the positivity rate, because we do that on a daily basis as well, we calculate that the positivity rate in the last two days has been really on an uptick. So I hope that that's just a unique um, situation and not the start of a of a trend. As far as hospitalizations go, um, last week was a great week in that we had no new hospitalizations um, for COVID, no new admissions. So I'm happy to report that out and happy to say that as of last night, I, I did not check today, but as of last night, that trend continues. No new hospitalizations um, with COVID. We continue to give the monoclonal antibody infusions, and last week we gave 10. And um, there's a kind of a variety of those MABs that are available under emergency use authorization. Some have a specific age or condition um, assigned to it, and other another is actually open to any age. So I just encourage anybody who tests positive to go ahead and reach out to their provider. A, it really helps... Um, 
kind of get in front of controlling any serious um, illness. And um, B, that's the only way to get a monoclonal antibody infusion is to have a provider referral. So if you get a positive test, just make sure and let your provider know because you might be a perfect candidate to um, get one of these MABs as a way to help prevent um, serious illness. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, I'm getting a lot of uh, crickly noises from your phone. I don't know if you can... There you go. Uh, those landlines are uh, notorious for that. It's, uh, don't hear that much anymore since we all went to uh, cell phones. Um, speaking of uh, antibody or antivirals, uh, the Food and Drug Administration just yesterday authorized the first COVID-19 antiviral pill. Uh, it's from Pfizer called Paxlovid. Paxlovid, and it's... Uh, for uh, folks 12 and up with mild to moderate COVID who are at risk for severe disease or hospitalization. Um, Lauren, are these uh, these kind of things uh, going to become available in Alaska right away, or uh, are we uh, later in the supply chain like so many things? Uh, what do you know about these uh, antiviral pills and their rollout? You know, I don't know much. Uh, I noticed that uh, just this morning, the ink is still actually drying, that FDA authorized an additional oral antiviral uh, for treatment of COVID-19 in, in certain adults, and that's a Merck uh, product. Um, but i got to tell you, that was just released a few hours ago, and I haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. Now, these, these are, uh, one would take these pills, uh, in, instead of or in place of uh, the monoclonal antibody infusions? Is, is that the same place in the chain of things that these things go? You know, I'd, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I, I would imagine so, but, but that's outside of my scope, really. Ah, okay. Dorotha, do you have any information on these antiviral pills? Well, I know um, pretty much what the rest of the community knows just through the FDA approval that happened yesterday. We're anxious to learn more and learn when they are available in Alaska. So they're at the moment not in Alaska. We are part of a, just an information and distribution chain statewide um, for everything from monoclonal antibodies to the remdesivir um, to you know any of the treatments that are currently um, available. So we should be learning soon in, in a matter of days um, what the availability will be in Alaska and who the perfect candidate is and what the recommended time frame is for um, prescribing that. Oh, excellent, excellent. Uh, I, I saw a uh, an article from a, a, a military publication, but it talks about the U.S. Army has been working on a vaccine, and apparently uh, they are creating one that works um, on all COVID strains and SARS uh, variants. Um, I, uh, I forwarded that to you, Lauren. Did you get a chance to look at that? It's from Walter Reed Army Institute Research. No, I didn't get a chance to look at it. However, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and what I'm thinking of is in regards to Omicron, uh, the thought is that the current vaccines are still expected to protect against 
severe illness, hospitalizations, and deaths um, due to infection from that new variant. However, we are expecting to see um, some breakthrough infections, um, and that's because of all those mutations to the spike protein of the new variant. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dorotha, we have a, a, a question from a listener. They're wondering uh, about fourth, well, I guess it would be second boosters or fourth shots, uh, which uh, is, is rolling out in some places. I think Israel is uh, offering them now. Uh, any word on um, discussion about that in the state? Nothing being discussed at this time. Right now, we're just happy to be able to offer um, all three of the vaccines, as well as um, boosters, and f- folks 18 and over can mix and match um, for their booster as well. So happy that we're able to provide such a variety um, right here, right now. Mm-hmm. I saw something the other day where uh, the FDA is now uh, preferring the uh, mRNA vaccines, the um uh, Pfizer and the Moderna over the Johnson and Johnson. Um, does SPH have any plans to, um, uh, along those lines, uh, offering uh, Johnson Johnson or preferring uh, recommending an mRNA? We discussed that on Tuesday when that announcement got made and we'll be reviewing it. Um, the bottom line is that it's still available at this at this time um, it is certainly shown statistically that a booster if you do Janssen your booster is even more important um, but at the moment we're still offering that oh okay could you um, maybe uh, clue our listeners in on what the issue is with the uh, Janssen slash Johnson and Johnson vaccine I cannot. I am not um, oh. comfortable, or okay. I don't want to say comfortable. I don't. I'm not familiar with all the details on that. Okay, Lauren, do you have information on that? Oh, I haven't seen recent news, but you know, it's been known for the past several months that J and J is a little less uh, efficacious, or works a little bit less well as compared to Pfizer and Moderna against the Delta variant. So those two mRNA vaccines, that's the Pfizer and Moderna. Um, the efficacy against Delta was was up in the 90s versus probably in the 70s for J&J. And that's why Pfizer and Moderna uh, rose to the top in, in regards to being recommended. But now we still have some folks uh, that just prefer uh, J&J for whatever reason. Um, and so that's great, too, because having efficacy or a vaccine that works around uh, 70 or 75 percent of the time, that's pretty amazing, especially when thinking about things like flu vaccines that sometimes only work uh, about 40 to 60 percent of the time when uh, when considering an entire population that's been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. I... Um I read something the other day. Uh, it, it was uh, uh, they were saying if you're if you're one of the people who half the people in Alaska roughly uh, who are not vaccinated, that with all the boosters and people getting boosters now, that uh, if you're embarrassed about going in, uh, don't worry about it. Nobody will be able to tell if you're getting your first shot or your your third shot. So uh, I, I guess I would encourage folks to take advantage of that. Uh, in the meantime, uh, with Omicron. Uh, I read an article, um, I think in the Toronto Star, 
uh, talking about masks and if masks uh, should be talking about the laxness we have all um, started to participate in with our masks. Uh, uh, Lauren, is there is there uh, new, more, better uh, advice uh, about masking? Should we start wearing two of them again? Well, you know, to the best of my knowledge, there's not new or better, but there is an incredibly large body of scientific evidence that really clearly outlines that masks uh, of many different types uh, are a great application for protecting yourself and others. And that's whether you're at work, working indoors, or you're traveling. Um, And that's really to prevent um, that virus from being transferred from one person to the next. So I guess one thing that we we really know about the SARS-CoV-2 virus is it's really small, but it needs to anchor itself or grab onto respiratory droplets, and that makes that whole uh, that whole unit pretty big. And masks are are effective in preventing um, that particular droplet from entering the respiratory system. So yeah, the, the name of the game here would be wearing a mask. And the good news about Omicron is. Uh, we've all got two years of experience now, and we've got the tools that we need to prevent transmission. And I think we should feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any, uh, you mentioned that we've got two years of experience here. Uh, have you seen any um, indication based on that experience on what Omicron may portend for the winter here? Yes, well... Um, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but United Kingdom is reporting um, very much an, an increase in cases, probably in the vicinity of 40% more new cases reported daily than their peak time in Delta. Now, historically, uh, the United States has tend to you know, roughly follow what's happening in UK in regards to COVID-19. And what we're seeing in the United States is an increase of about 38% in COVID activity over the past uh, a couple of weeks. Um, but here in Alaska, we're still seeing a decrease of COVID activity over the past week or so. So what we might see in the immediate future, which is yet to be seen, is a sharp increase related to Omicron. And that's because it is incredibly transmissible or its ability to pass on from one person to the next is, is very high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I uh, see in an article here from the Star that uh, um, Omicron um, people develop symptoms uh, from from Omicron in two or three days, uh, where Delta was uh, twice that, roughly. Yeah, five days. that's you got it, Jay. That's a key factor, and it really makes it hard for us to to get it under our finger. You know. Um, you know, like with Delta, somebody uh, would be around someone who has COVID infectious where they're, they're symptomatic or asymptomatic and get exposed. And then it would take, you know, on average five days for that person um, themselves to be infectious or to show signs and symptoms. And that's what we like to call infectious period. And the infectious period for Omicron, although we don't know it, it's, it's very hard to calculate, but it's probably on the order of about three days or two days shorter than Delta. And so what that means is uh, the spread is exponentially larger. Wow. 
So uh, let me ask you about that transmissibility. Uh, is less, let's say Omicron is uh, twice as uh, transmissible as uh, uh, Delta here. Uh, does that mean that the safe period of spending time with, with around people uh, should be shortened as well? Uh, um, you know, should should we consciously be spending less time around people now? Does it does the exposure time matter? Is the exposure time shorter because it is Omicron? That was a long way to get to that question. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's okay, Jay. Yeah, the thought is currently with Omicron that it, it takes less time um, for Omicron to transfer from one person or the next. Or it, in scientific language, what we call inoculum, it takes less inoculum um, in order for Omicron to pass successfully from one person to the next. Now, when that new person gets Omicron, um, it's also taking, we believe, less time for that person to become infectious and pass it on to the next person. Um, so that's uh, what's so concerning about this particular variant. Hmm. Uh, I guess the worst case scenario would be something that passes quickly like this but is uh, uh, worse for you. That would be one of the worst case scenarios. Um, from today's perspective, that's not quite what we're seeing with Omicron. Uh, we're believing that the virulence or this uh, variant's ability to do damage is likely less than Delta, but that's yet to be seen. And this is still preliminary info, and it, we'll just have to see in the next several weeks. Mm -hmm. Given the uh, shorter incubation period for Omicron, uh, will we see a, a corresponding uptick in, uh, you know, hospitalizations um, uh, in a shorter period as well? That's certainly a possibility. Um, we won't know till we get there. Uh, but, but the concerning thing is that, uh, you know, what lies behind uh, cases is always hospitalizations and deaths. Um, and so it, it kind of uh, occurs in a cascading effect or one leads to the next. Um, so with a larger total number of cases, we would naturally expect a, a larger total number of hospitalizations even if the virulence or the ability of the variant to do damage is less, um, still with a, with a large enough number of uh, cases, there will inherently be, uh, or is thought to be, inherently more uh, hospitalizations and deaths. Uh, but that's yet, yet to be seen. Mm -hmm. As a as a man of science, you are very cautious, uh, you, you know, and you you answer cautiously scientifically. Uh, when you and your colleagues are, are chit-chatting about this, is, do you feel a little optimism with Omicron or a little uh, trepidation? Oh, I don't know. I think uh, it's a little concerning because we're going into the holidays, which means a lot of travel and probably a lot of time snuggling up on the couch watching rom-coms. Um, so that's a little concerning because that sets the stage um, for Omicron to Omicron to, to really thrive throughout the winter season. Um, but I think, too, that it, it's promising that, you know, we've all uh, been through this. We've been through Alpha, uh, Beta, and, and Delta together, and without a doubt, we'll make it through uh, Omicron together as well. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a, a graph I think I forwarded you as a uh, 
hospitalizations and deaths, average weekly hospitalizations and average weekly deaths uh, in the United States. And uh, it shows that uh, the unvaccinated have a five uh, time greater, five times greater um, infection rate, uh, somewhere around 50 per 100,000 and fully vaccinated people around five or less. Uh, and then average weekly deaths, um, they've gone down since the peak uh, around September, but uh, unvaccinated deaths 14 times as high as the unvax or a fully vaccinated uh, death rate uh, from from uh, all this. Um, you. Um, I mean, that's, that's really, uh, uh, why isn't this graph everywhere? I mean, this really drives home to me the benefits of being uh, fully vaccinated. Uh, is the state, I guess, Lauren, uh, my, my question uh, after all this, is, is the state uh, cognizant of, what is the state doing to boost the vaccination rate? There you go. Oh. Oh, I think I think that this uh, maybe not this particular graph or comparison, but I think that the message is really uh, um, almost everywhere. The message being that uh, folks that are fully vaccinated have uh, very much less risk of serious illness, um, hospitalization and death as compared to unvaccinated folks. I think that message is out there um, and, and we continue to like alter that message, um, you know, and the goal there is to have each person, family, and community have the best, most accurate information so they can make the best uh, decisions for themselves. Um, but I guess I think uh, uh, I would make another comment, too, would be, you know, reported deaths uh, or the average weekly reported deaths, those numbers can change uh, through time. And there's a couple different mechanisms there. And what I'm talking about is, number one, reporting deaths can tend to lag in time. Um, so that graph can push up over time or be updated. Uh, but also, you know, when thinking about all hospitalizations related to COVID, uh, there's a lot of different scenarios there. So the total range of number of days that people in Alaska spend uh, in the hospital with COVID is anywhere from 1 to 128 days. Um, so not everyone is in the hospital for 128 days, but the mean or the average stay in the hospital is about eight to nine days. Um, so the thing that happens is that uh, the deaths that will occur from the hospitalizations um, today haven't occurred yet, uh, but they will over the next several weeks or months. Mm -hmm. uh, I had one question emailed in here. Uh, now that the FDA has approved those uh antiviral pills from Pfizer and Merck. Uh, any idea when they might be available in Homer? Hmm. A little too early? Um, still too early to know. We receive those um, treatment shipments through the state of Alaska. So any of these COVID treatments kind of are um, assigned to states and then the states roll them out into the communities. So we are still um, waiting to learn when they even get to Alaska. Uh-huh. Will they be uh, physician referral only? I have honestly not read the FDA um, uh, emergency use authorization, um, so I'm sure that's in there. And mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I haven't read that yet. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Dorotha, any uh, last things you'd like to uh, leave us with here as we uh, head into the holiday weekend uh, uh, to share with our folks listening? Yes, thank you. So I just want folks to know that we remain open seven days a week in general for testing and vaccine at the um, 4201 Bartlett Street location. We have a little Santa or a big Santa inflated um, near the building um, to help folks that have never been there before um, figure out where. But for the holidays, we are going to do some special hours. On Christmas Eve, we will close at noon. So we will be open 9 to noon on Christmas Eve, and we will be closed on Christmas Day. And then the same for New Year's. We will close at noon on New Year's Eve and be closed on New Year's Day. Now, I understand that for some folks, um, they can't control when they learn that maybe they were exposed to um, COVID and they can't control when they um, start feeling poorly and want to come test because of symptoms. So we will have um, some at-home test kits available while we're closed. The instructions on getting one will be um, posted on the door of the vaccine and test um, site. So don't hesitate. Just because we're closed, don't let that prevent you from coming and getting tested. The information will be there on the um, take-home test kit. Oh, excellent, excellent. And uh, just a reminder for the listeners, it's only the Bartlett Street uh, Clinic that's uh, closing on those hours. The emergency room uh, open 24-7, so just want to make sure they understand that. Sorry if I implied otherwise. No, 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 you didn't. I just, uh, it just occurred to me. It's like, oh, well, there is still always the emergency room. Um, well, let's see. Uh, Lauren, any last, uh, last words for us? Oh, I guess I'd just say happy winter solstice. You know, the light's coming back a few more minutes each day. Um, and I was just noticing as I was walking to my truck this morning, it, it is absolutely beautiful outside. Um, so as you're enjoying the holidays and looking at uh, a new year, uh, maybe consider getting outside or getting outside again. Thanks, Jay. Excellent. Thank you very much, uh, Lauren. Carol, the uh, public health nurse uh, in Homer with the state of Alaska, and thank you very much, Dorotha Ferraro, the spokesperson at South Peninsula Hospital. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to both of you and to uh, all our listeners. Uh, the news is off tomorrow, but uh, next week we will have a COVID brief, uh, hopefully with more uh, good news about Well, optimistic news. Let's not say good news. More optimistic news about the pandemic. And with that, I'm Jay Barrett. Thanks for joining us. This has been the COVID Brief. I'm going to send you back now to the KBBI studios.